0: Amen. Good, good morning so glad to be with you this morning. Thanks for being with us at South City Church. My name is drew klein i 'm one of the pastors here, and what a joy to have you with us. God truly is doing something in our church and around us I, I, it's we've been busy haven't we we've We've married some people off in the last couple of weekends. Uh, we married uh, Matt and, and Jessica James now off yesterday and uh, we're honored to have Robin Christie with us today. We love you guys and pray for your Church plant and home in in uh, Chicago area. I'm glad you're with us today. Uh, but God's doing so much. We had South City, I mean, our Summerfest uh, South City Summerfest last Sunday night was awesome. We got some really good news coverage on a couple of different channels, which was great. And uh, we always want to let people know about what God's doing in our church and um, what a privilege it is to be here with you this morning. We've been in a series called Acts: The Story of the Church. And uh, last week we talked about um, one of the leading women of the early church. We talked first of all about the fact that God sometimes says no. It's not fun when God says no, when you have a plan and you have a direction and you have uh, what you wanna do and even sometimes what God has told you to do and yet God redirects, it's not easy. And then we met Lydia who's one of the leading women of the early church, a strong, strong lady And uh, what an amazing woman she is, and and we see her as one of the three stories that Luke chooses to bring out of uh, the Philippian area, of the Philippi area, uh, to tell us about salvation in these three different stories. And today we're going to talk about two more. Um, You know, one thing that we notice is whenever Paul and his team go in mission, and we've talked about this before. Anytime you go on mission, anytime any of us take the gospel of Jesus to somebody else you're gonna face something. It's called opposition, right? Anytime we choose to to be obedient to the Lord and take his word and take his name to a nation or to a friend or to a neighbor or anywhere, get ready. You're gonna face opposition. It's kind of the actual definition of an enemy. He wants to stand in the way of what God wants to do. And so we're gonna see that this morning in our story as uh, Paul and Silas pay a pretty um, difficult price for the gospel. Would you look with me in the word? Acts 16, verse 16, we'll get back into our story. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, Turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them. And gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. We're going to look at a bigger portion of the text today, but we're going to start with this one. Would you just pray with me as we get into the word this morning? Father God. Lord, thank you for this story, and thank you for what you want to teach us in it. And God, I just, I know that there's some people here today that are, they're bound up. There's some people today that are worrying about some different things, and there's some people today that that feel like they're held captive by a thought, by a relationship, by a chemical, by whatever the case may be. Lord, I pray that today is a day of you giving freedom to people. Lord, your word says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So God, in this place, in this moment, in this hour, bring freedom. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We talked last week about the fact that Paul and his team on the missionary journey typically would go on a Sabbath to the synagogue. This is the epicenter of Jewish culture and Jewish life. This is where they're going to start. And they're going to try and bring full circle the story of the Messiah right? The, the Jews would be reading prophecies of the Messiah. And this would be a way to go, hey, let's help you finish that circle and answer that question. Who is the Messiah? It's Jesus. But clearly, Philippi doesn't have a synagogue. Uh, Jewish law is that there has to be 10 men to constitute an actual synagogue. So evidently, there aren't even 10 men of Jewish faith in Philippi to have a synagogue. So Paul and the team go outside of the city, outside of the gate, uh, the place by the riverside, so I'm sure it's a nice, pretty place, and they call it a place of prayer. And we see there are women that are meeting there, and, and clearly they are going back the different Sabbath days. They're going back to this place of prayer, and they're discipling people, right? Because membership, disciples, not one and done. Discipleship is a process. We grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus, and that's the way Paul and the team are discipling these women. They're helping them go deeper and deeper and deeper, but this one day, they, they have a groupie, don't they? This one day, they have somebody that's kind of following them on mission down to the place of prayer. And she's not—it's uh, kind of distracting a little bit. She's a slave girl. The Bible says she has a spirit of divination and that she can predict the future. Now, what's, what's interesting about this, the Greek literally translates spirit of divination as spirit python— Yeah, like the snake, right? Spirit Python, which is very interesting to me. And if you know Greek mythology very much, then you understand that there's a story of a man by the name of Apollo. And he has an enemy by the name of Python. Well, Python has a home called Delphi. And Apollo fights Python, kills Python. And then he makes it his home. And now it's called the Delphi Oracle. And then there's all these priestesses around the Delphi oracle in Greek mythology. And supposedly, they, they are um, inspired by the spirit of Python. And they can predict the future. This is all Greek mythology, right? And so in this culture and in this town, they believe that this slave girl is one of those priestesses. They believe that she can predict the future, and it's because of this Greek mythological faith. Now, of course, Paul and his team... No better, right? They, they see this situation for what it really is. This girl is actually possessed by a demon. And so uh, they want to deal with this. But that's, that's what that town believes about her. But what's interesting about this girl, I think it's so interesting, she's following Paul and the team, and she's proclaiming out loud, these men are from the most high God, and they're, they want to lead you to the way of salvation. Now, wait a minute. Isn't that the truth? right? That's all true. They are from the Most High God, and they are on mission to lead people to the way of salvation. It's all true. It's, it's very interesting. It reminds me of Jesus in his ministry. you remember there's several times in Jesus' ministry where uh, a demon-possessed person comes to Jesus, and he starts crying out, Son of, son of the Most High God, Right? You're the Holy One of God, all these different things. Look with me over here at Luke 4, 33. We'll look at a couple of instances. It says, in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. A little further down, verse 41, demons came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Now, were they speaking the truth? Yep. But was it the way Jesus wanted that truth to be known? Not yet, no. He had a way that he wanted uh, his true nature to be revealed and this wasn't it. And so he rebuked the demons. So evidently something in Paul and his team, we know what it is, is Jesus. Jesus. Those demons saw, this demon and this girl sees that yes, it's true, these men are from the Holy One of God, the Most High God, and they are leading people to the way of salvation. She speaks the truth, but Jesus rebuked those demons, and then we see Paul rebuke uh, this demon as well. If you're following on your card this morning, the first thing we have down is, is that a demon speaks the truth, but she does it in the wrong way, right? Have you ever known anybody that speaks the truth but they do it in the wrong way? Uh huh. Uh huh. See, Paul wasn't afraid of the truth. He wasn't afraid of somebody going, These men are of God. These men are giving you the way of salvation, but he didn't want to do it this way. Paul is relational. Even just go back a little bit and we look at the story with Lydia. This is a relational connection Paul's trying to make, right? He wants, to, he wants to do this where he gives context. This is Messiah. This is full circle. And, and this demon crying out is, is, is in a way, this is not the way he wants this to go. Have you ever known anybody um, that plays cymbals? A drummer? You know, Parker does a great job for us, and, there's, there's, and, and Elvis when he pr- plays. But you know, cymbals can accentuate a moment in such a beautiful way you know, they can just slowly rise and you just feel the moment rising, just this slow rumble of cymbal or this crash at the perfect moment. But if somebody's just going, is, that's not real pleasant, is it? That's not a whole lot of fun if they're just. D-d-d-d-d-d. That's exactly what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I'm just like a clanging gong or a cymbal. That's annoying. Nobody just wants truth, 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 truth without love. It doesn't do any good. In fact, it just wears us out. Just shut up. I don't want to hear it. It doesn't do anything. I love this quote from Warren Wearsley that says, truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. Isn't that good? See, some people use truth like a weapon. You know those people? Oh yeah, well, bam, they give truth. And it doesn't do any good because it's done without a heart of love. And it's brutal. I think about these people that sometimes stand outside of concerts. You know, I used to be in the concert sort of business and we would be in different towns and people would stand on corners sometimes and hold picket signs against us the christian artists trying to bring jesus to a city they didn't like it they didn't like what we were doing and it would they would have truth on their sign they'd have a scripture on their sign but what they were doing wasn't done in love and it just ended up being annoying sometimes we can give truth but we give it as a weapon or we give it with brutality and we don't love and sometimes we love so much that we enable we just say oh you believe what you believe and i'll believe what i believe and everybody will just be just fine right No, 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 that's hypocrisy. To love without truth is hypocrisy. We have to love with truth. See, it wasn't that the truth being spoken in the wrong way or the wrong time was it completely. I also think there was a sense that Paul, he didn't want a connection to this girl in this way. I think he wanted to purify his message. I think he silenced that demon. by the way, doesn't Paul have some serious patience? Several days of the clanging symbol. So it says several days she went around crying out. Several days. He finally turns around and speaks, not to the girl, but to the demon. And the demon comes out, says that very hour. That's just a colloquialism from the time period. It means in an instant, in that moment, in the name of Jesus, that demon comes out but she had been following for days, but the reason he does this is because he wants to be clear that the message and the gospel of Jesus is not connected to the occult. The message of Jesus is not connected to Greek mythology, no matter what you think about what this girl is saying. The message of Jesus is the message of Jesus. He wants to, be, he wants to purify that message. You know, we face a lot of that kind of thing today, a lot of people trying to connect side by side with the beliefs of Christianity. The Mormon church, right, the danger in the Mormon church is that they wanna look just like another church down the street. We're just a church. Just come to be a part of our church. We help the community, we serve. Listen, they are not a church of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are preaching a different gospel. They're preaching uh, something that is foreign to the truth. We need to separate ourselves as Paul did from this uh, occultic moment with this girl and say, no, 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 it's a different gospel. It's a different gospel. We're not the same. We're not not preaching the same thing. Jehovah's Witness, is the same thing. Progressive Christianity right now is one of the greatest threats to the church. It's one of the greatest threats because they say, we're Christians. We just don't believe the Bible. What? How does that even make sense? It doesn't. But friends, some of your children and some of your grandchildren believe it with all of their heart. health and wellness gospel right well this is, this is what I believe if I just do these things then I'll, I'll have these blessings friends we're going to see a little bit later in the story that's not the case we got to be careful with what we allow to be attached to the gospel of Jesus it's got to be pure as a church we got to say we will stand and believe the word of God and nothing added nothing else his word alone. This is our first example of freedom this morning. We're going to have three of them. This, this young slave girl is freed by Jesus. She's freed. She's been bound as a slave. She's been bound by this demon, and now she's given new life. She's given new life, and assumedly, uh, based on other stories of demon-possessed people, we believe that she probably came to know the Lord. Probably following Jesus because of what he's done in her life. And this is our first example of freedom. Jesus is greater, friends, than whatever holds you captive this morning. He is. He's greater than Greek mythology. He's greater than the spirit python. You know, I think about that. Even just that word picture, the python. I hate snakes. Woo! If you're an unfortunate snake, and you could be like the, the good kind whatever that is. I don't... You accidentally get in my yard, you're the dead kind. you know what I'm saying? But um, I think about a python. The way they work is they, they're so, ugh. But they just, they bite their prey. And as soon as they bite their prey, then they wrap their body around their prey, right? And then they squeeze and choke. And many of you today may be in the middle of the grasp and of the grip of something of the enemy. And you don't know how to breathe. You don't know how to get out. You don't know how to be let go. Listen, Jesus frees us from the enemy. There's nothing that can't be freed by Jesus. Here's the next thing. Her exorcism leads to the uproar in the city. It's a big deal. Paul and and, uh, Silas and his team, Timothy and Luke, all four of these guys, they've been kind of laying low, right, down by the place of prayer. It's real nice down there but now they've messed with somebody's way of life. Now they've messed with somebody's uh, sinful and demonic practice and taken away their income source and they're in trouble. And so they're dragged into the marketplace area. And when they get there, what's interesting is the girl's slave owners wanna bring a complaint against Paul and Silas. Now doesn't it make sense that their complaint would be, hey, this girl was doing work for us and then they did something, and now she's not doing the work for us, and we don't make money, right? Because that's what happened. That's why they're mad. Yet it's not what they say. Do you notice that? This is the truth down here. And they go, Well, look what this this is what they did, but this is the truth. Look, look here in verse 20. When they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews. And they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Do you see what they're doing? Do you see that the first piece of persecution for Paul and Silas isn't about the fact that they're even taking Jesus to the world? It's not even about the fact that they're in Philippi preaching Jesus as Christians. No. These guys are racists. This is a racial moment. This is a profiling moment, and they're persecuted not for Jesus, but because they're Jews, and see what they're doing is they're pressing into this anti-Semitic nerve uh, of these Roman people, and it stirs up the Roman national pride and prejudice. Oh yeah, the Jews, they're changing us. They're doing things they shouldn't be doing. They're disturbing our city, and so the magistrates sit up and they go, well, we can't have that. Disturbing the city, we can't do that. And they're changing our customs as Romans. Well, we can't have that. The truth is, they weren't doing either one of those things. Yeah, they're Jews. But they weren't doing either one of those things. I couldn't, friends, I couldn't help. But just stop in that passage and go, this is unbelievably uncanny to what our world is walking through right now. What our culture is facing. This is what I mean. How much of the rhetoric, the racial rhetoric... How much, and and I'm not saying it doesn't exist. It does. It's awful and it's sinful. But how much of the racial rhetoric, how much of the the disturbance in in politics, how much of the junk that's going on in our culture really is about some sort of demonic greed and we just don't see that. There's people stirring up other areas and we don't see the truth of what's really going on. Isn't that interesting? These men didn't say, yeah, they changed our income. No, it wasn't about that. They tried to say it was about something else when really they were hiding the sinful practice of slavery and divination. I was praying this morning. I was mad at these guys. I was praying this morning and I realized I'm those guys. and often do, I do the dog and pony show over here so that you don't see the truth of my life over here? If I can just get your attention over here, maybe you won't see the sinfulness here. Mm. may we just be honest about who we are and allow Jesus to change us. Nothing was spoken about their loss of money. Nothing. You know, Paul and Silas had done exactly what that girl needed. They gave her freedom. They gave her life. And friends, that's exactly what our world needs, exactly what our country needs. It needs freedom. It it needs to be uh, freed from sin and bondage, but The only way we can give that to this world is in the name of Jesus. In the same way that she was freed, our country, our friends, our family need to be freed. And so then we see Paul and Silas are beaten and imprisoned. Verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them. This is a mob mentality all of a sudden. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So now we've got a mob mentality. Now there's this race riot literally taking place. Paul and Silas are stripped and beaten severely with rods. Maybe even close to death, we don't know. Then they're thrown not just into any prison, they're thrown into the inner dungeon, and their feet are placed in stocks. Now, stocks were used for torture. We don't see that in this passage, but either way, it wasn't comfortable, right? This is not like the lazy boy in the prison. Their feet are in stocks, that means their back is on the ground, and you know that their backs are bloodied and bruised and torn. This moment looks pretty rough for Paul and Silas. Not sure where Timothy and Luke are, they didn't endure this same pain, but here they are in the middle of their mission, being obedient to Jesus to do exactly what he's called them to do. Here they are following through, helping this girl find life and freedom. And this happens. Remember the health and wellness thing I mentioned? (laughs) God sometimes allows things to happen in our lives. He uses it for his glory and our good. But what's crazy, friends, in this moment, Paul and Silas do something insane. Paul and Silas do the unthinkable in this moment. It it, it doesn't make sense. It's totally countercultural. Acts 16, verse 25 But Paul cried with a loud voice, "'Don't harm yourself, for we're all here.'" And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, "'Sirs, what must I do to be saved?' And they said, "'Believe in the Lord Jesus, "'and you will be saved, you and your household.'" And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his household. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. We see Paul and Silas worship at midnight in the dark. We know it's dark because when the jailer rushes in, he has to find some lights. It's pitch black, and they're worshiping, right? I look at this and I start going, what's my problem again? What am I complaining about again? What was I depressed about all day two days ago? What was my struggle? What was my fear? What was my doubt? What were my questions again? When I see Paul and Silas beaten half to death, laying on their backs, feet in stocks, midnight, darkness, roaches, rats, disgusting place, inner dungeon. And we go, I don't know about you, but I would probably, I don't know what I would do. I don't know that I would be worshiping and singing and praying to God, but that's exactly what we see them doing. Listen, whatever it is that you're facing this morning, it's not what they faced that day. It's not. You know what I think is interesting is they don't preach in this moment. Paul and Silas and, and the missionary team, they're preaching everywhere they go, but in this moment they're not preaching. Isn't that interesting? It says people are listening, so maybe if they were preaching, somebody would come to know Christ. I, I, I just reminded me that, you know what? You can't always be preaching. We need to be connecting to the Father. That if we don't have a relationship that is real and authentic with Jesus, we have no power to go to the world and say anything of any substance. If we don't have a genuine relationship, loving relationship connected to the Father in our darkest moments, then we have no power, no strength to actually say anything to the world. People were listening. Can I tell you, when you're in the darkest, most difficult, broken moment of your life, People are going to listen and watch to see how you're going to respond. They're going to wait. Oh, let's see this now. Oh, let's see if she's a big worshiper now. Let's see if she's going to trust Jesus now. And I believe Paul and Silas were authentically lifting up the name of Jesus in the dark. Take it to Jesus. In the dark, take it to Jesus. I've come to learn as a worshiper, as a worship leader for the last 30 years, authentic worship gets God's attention. Authentic worship gets God's attention. Now we can worship and just say some words. We can just read the words on the thing and we can just sit there and they can go in one ear and out the other and not mean a thing to us and we've just wasted some time. But authentic worship, worship from a broken life from a season of devastation is the sweetest worship you can bring. I mean, when you are going through it, when you're in a season of devastation and heartache and trouble and brokenness, and out of that you say, Oh God, I worship you. In that moment when your faith is so small, but you say, I choose to worship, I choose to believe, I don't feel like going to church but I'm going to church. I don't feel like going to small group, but I'm going to small group. I'm sick, I don't, my head's hurt at, you know, I've always told worship leaders and worship band members for 30 years leading worship teams, play wounded. Be willing to play wounded. Come, bring your gift and your wound to the Lord. Because when you worship in a broken moment, it's the sweetest worship you can bring. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, we talked about it last week, he began to to sweat drops of blood. This was the most difficult moment in Jesus' life to that point. And he says, Lord, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass, but not my will, your will. That is the sweetest moment of worship modeled by Jesus himself. We too should be in that place, Lord, not my will. So I would tell my, my, my band members, I know there's moments that you can't make it, but sometimes you can play through the wound. You're struggling. You've been a little sick, you've, you've hurt, you're, you're down. Come worship and play wounded. I think about athletes. I'm not a huge athletic fan. But don't we just respect athletes that are willing to play wounded? Does anybody remember... Uh, Jordan, game five, 1997. He has the flu. He has the flu. Do you know what it feels like to have the flu, right? Just You just lay there dead on the couch. You don't play basketball. He scored 38 points in that game. It's almost impossible to score 38 points in any game. But he did it with the flu. Respect level goes like this, doesn't it? Like, whoa. Tiger Woods. 2008 US Open, he plays 91 holes with a broken leg and a torn ACL to win the 2008 US Open. Respect. Oh my gosh. It's hard to do that anyway, but it's almost unhuman to win to do that. I think about the football player who played pro, uh, Brett Favre, in 1990. I don't know if you know about this. He had a car wreck. He lost 30 feet of his intestine. And five weeks later, he led his team to win over Alabama. He played wounded. And that's what we see Paul and Silas willing to do. In this moment where their circumstances don't look so promising. In fact, they look devastating. I don't know that any of us have been in a moment like this moment that they're in. But they begin to worship, and God shows up, and he brings freedom. He brings freedom. God shows up, and every time he shows up, he brings freedom. Here's the thing, friends. Paul and Silas made a choice to worship in spite of their circumstances. They made a conscious, intentional choice in spite of what they felt like, in spite of the pain, in spite of the weariness, in spite of the rats, in spite of the darkness, in spite of the, the stocks that their feet are in, in spite of the dungeon, in spite of the wounds, they made a choice to lift their perspective. Isn't that what Psalm 121 says? I will lift my eyes under the hills from where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. See, we've all got circumstances that are sometimes devastating. They're heartbreaking. We don't know how maybe we're going to make it from one day to the next. And yet we've got to take our perspective off what we see and place it on the Lord. Lift your eyes to the hills from where your help comes from. Your help comes from the Lord. But the problem is, so many of us just refuse to look at the Lord. We just want to look at our circumstances. No, I can't, won't ever get over that. I can't ever beat this addiction. I can't ever do this. We just stay in this horizontal plane of perspective and we wonder why we're stuck. Paul and Silas are in this unbelievable moment and they're doing something that makes no sense to the world, but they're lifting their eyes under the hills where their help comes from taking their perspective off their circumstance and placing it on their creator. I want us to do something this morning. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? I want to change your perspective. Change your perspective, not only from me in this room, but also from the junk that's going on in your life. Just close your eyes for a moment. I want you just to picture something in your mind. Instead of seeing the poverty that you're in, and the struggle that you have with finances, would you picture the provider? Instead of just thinking about the struggles always with bills and this and that, just focus on the provider. Instead of seeing the addiction that you struggle with and the idols in your life, picture the deliverer. Instead of picturing the sickness that you walk through and the aches and the pains. Instead, just picture the healer. Instead of seeing the death around our country, around your life, around the brokenness of your family, picture the resurrection and the life. His name is Jesus. You can look at me. I don't know if you remember the moment in, uh, I don't know how many examples I can get out of this movie. It's like my favorite movie. Shawshank Redemption. Andy Dufresne is in charge of the record player in the the warden's office. Remember that? And he puts on an Italian aria. I don't speak Italian, and neither did those prisoners, but there was something so beautiful in that music. There was something so transcendent in that moment when he placed that Italian aria on that record player and he sent it out over the speakers into the prison yard, all these tough, broken criminals stopped and they lifted their eyes and they, some of them closed their eyes, but they were taken from one place to another. Friends, Paul and Silas somehow were transported from a dungeon cell to the throne room of God because they made a choice to not focus on their circumstances but focus on the one who made them. They didn't focus on the chains that had them bound. Instead, they focused on the chain breaker. And that's what we have to do if we want change to happen in our lives. This is our second example of freedom this morning. An earthquake comes and Paul and Silas are freed from their bonds they're free. So after the earthquake happens, the jailer looks up. He's thinking everybody's gone. The the doors are open. Chains laying there free. No prisoners does he see. And he grabs his sword and he's ready to kill himself. Now when we read this, because we've all read this story many times, we sometimes forget how serious this moment is. This is a life and death suicidal moment for this jailer. He's ready to take his life. And Paul goes, whoa, 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 whoa. We're all here. We haven't gone anywhere. It's this is beautiful moment of a rescue of this man's life. You see, it's Jewish custom that, that if, uh, as a jailer, as a Roman custom, as a jailer, if, if a prisoner escapes, that jailer has to pay the penalty of that escapee. So he must have known maybe that in his jail he had men that were waiting execution. So if they're gone, then I might as well, have, I might as well kill myself because they're going to kill me. And Paul says, no, 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 wait. He calls for lights. He runs in. He falls down. The text says he's trembling in fear. And he brings Paul and Silas out and he says, what must I do to be saved? I just keep thinking, what, what led up to this moment for this jailer? Did he hear the slave girl? saying these men are from the most high God and they bring you the way of salvation. Did he hear that? Did he hear the the worship from the inner dungeon just before an earthquake? He couldn't deny the power and the presence of God. And then, interestingly enough, the bonds break and all the prisoners could be free, but they're not. And now he's ready to take his life, but he doesn't all these things lead up to this realization that he has been in the presence of a holy God and conviction leads him to Paul and Silas. And he says, what do I got to do to know this God that does this thing? Help me. What must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas give him the elevator pitch of evangelism, right? Sometimes we make such a big deal out of witnessing to people, don't we? Oh, it'll take six months. It'll take two years. It didn't take them that long. Paul said believe in in, in Jesus, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved in your whole family. Paul knew that he was gonna have a longer conversation, the text tells us. They knew that they were gonna explain more things but in that moment of desperation and the man saying what must I do? Paul says believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Last week we talked about the fact that Lydia came to know the Lord and she was baptized and her whole family. And this week we're talking about the fact that the jailer comes to know the Lord and then he's baptized and his whole family. But make no mistake, God has no grandchildren, okay? Make no mistake that just because you're a father and you know the Lord that all of a sudden your whole family is going to come to Jesus. Every one of us has to make a choice to follow Jesus. Every one of us has to make that choice. You can't say, well, my family's been a Christian family my whole life, and I'm good. No, you're not. You will die and go to hell without acknowledging who Jesus is and asking him to save your life, repenting, believing in him yourself. And so we know that the, the Lydia's family, the jailer's family, all trust Jesus, and they're all baptized and come to know him. Real freedom, of friends, is in knowing Jesus. It's the third example of our day about freedom. Real freedom is in knowing Christ. I love this story of the jailer because it's such a beautiful example of a right response to the gospel. Before and after. Before the man is trembling. In fear, and can I just tell you, this morning, in this moment, if you don't know Jesus as your savior, you might as well be trembling as well. That's a scary place to be. I don't envy you if you don't know Jesus. But he comes before Paul and Silas trembling, wanting to know Jesus. That's a right response to the gospel. Knowing that God is holy and we are not, and if he chooses to take our lives, he will judge us. We will go to hell if we don't know him. It's tremble-worthy, but he comes to know Christ and his family and he's baptized, and his family's baptized, and then look what happens. Once he's saved, he doesn't see these men as prisoners anymore, he sees them as brothers in Christ. He takes them to his home, He, he serves them, he mends and cleans their wounds, he feeds them at his own table, he cares for their needs. He's also just so grateful for his own salvation. Look what the text says. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. He rejoiced. How often do you come in here? How often do you wake up in the morning and just go, God, thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for saving my children. Because I don't understand people who can just worship like this if they're worshiping. Like, it means nothing. I I don't understand it. I can't do it. Because like that jailer, he has saved my life and my eternity. And I'm grateful for salvation. I think it was Spurgeon that said, if your faith means nothing to you, it probably means nothing to God. If your faith means nothing to you, if it doesn't move you, It probably means nothing to God. You probably don't have a relationship with Jesus. And today, repent and know Jesus. He and his family were so grateful for salvation. They were so grateful that they had believed in God. Listen, when Jesus changes your heart, the whole world ought to see a difference in your life. Everybody, your family first going, who are you? What has gone on with you? Our number one core value here at South City is transformative discipleship. And when we talk about that, we just talk about the fact that we want the world to see that we're changed people. We're not just a church that makes this assumption and then we don't don't talk. No, we are changed. It's kind of redundant. Discipleship ought to be transformative. But it's okay. We're okay to be redundant. (laughs) We want to be transformed disciples. There's a change in our lives. We have made a change. God has done something in us that has changed us. Radically, we're not the same. And then lastly, Paul doesn't leave quietly from Philippi. Acts 16, 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And uh, the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, hey, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come now and go in peace. Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. So the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. Nicely. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. It, when I read this, I thought, this is like a different type of Paul. We don't really see Paul as somebody who complains about his uh, beating or his persecution, or he, he's not a whiner, he's not one to stand up for his rights as a Roman citizen, and it's a kind of a, a strange moment for the Apostle Paul. But the the reality is, as I studied this and read many commentaries, this, this moment wasn't about Paul. See, Paul gets tough, but it's not about Paul. Paul's doing this in this moment to make sure that this church that's being established in Philippi will be respected. He wants to make sure that they're safe. Will the magistrates have some respect? Well, maybe they won't harass these people who've come to know Jesus at Philippi now. You see, this was a very serious thing. One commentary I read said that uh, Philippi could have lost their uh, colony as a Roman colony. They could have lost over this whole situation. This was a very serious deal. Roman law is that you don't bind or beat anyone without due process, without uh, trying them and condemning them. Paul knew that. And so Paul bows up, complains about his abuse and mistreatment and wants respect, but not for himself. He wanted this new church to be able to survive, not just survive, but thrive in this community. And this act of strength, this act of uh, wanting respect would hopefully help prepare that church for future growth. So they leave, they go visit Lydia in her home, verse 40 says, and we know that the church met there in her home. Last week we talked about, as I close, how beautiful it is that, that there's these three stories from Philippi that Luke brings out. There were more people saved. There were more people discipled in this, in this town. But Luke brings out the stories of Lydia and the slave girl and the Philippian jailer so different from one another. I mean, they couldn't have been more different from wealthy to poverty, right? From Asian to Greek, to Roman men and women. It was completely different from one another and yet one savior meets them all right where their need is. What also is beautiful in this moment is Paul and his team leave Philippi. These very different people are gonna have to now walk life together as a family of families. That's not easy, is it? Three different cultures, all the differences that make them up for who they are and yet now they're gonna to have to do life together as a church. I just encourage you this week when you leave here, go read the book of Philippians. It won't take you very long. Because that is Paul's letter to these people. Isn't it cool to think about the church, and just, just like us, our family right here. Maybe the slave girl received the letter from Paul and said, oh, can I read it? They're like, sure, go ahead. And the slave girl, redeemed and freed from a demon, stands up and reads Paul's letter to their church. Can you imagine how beautiful? But in that very first chapter, Philippians 1, verse 27, Paul says to this group of people, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I also love, earlier in chapter 1, Paul says, he who began a good work in you, he'll be faithful to complete it. Can't you just see Paul's fatherly, discipling heart, thinking of the slave girl, thinking of Lydia, thinking of the jailer, and going, I saw it begin in you, and God will be faithful to complete it in you. Now be the church together. Hey, listen, as we close, can I just ask you a quick question? What freedom do you need today? Just take a moment and and think about your life. Think about your mind. Think about your heart. Think about the things that you walk in daily. What freedom do you need in your life today? Because that slave girl was bound in two ways, as a slave and by a demon. And God set her free in the name of Jesus. And Paul and Silas, they were freed, but they had to change their perspective and not look at the circumstances, but focus on the creator. They had to lift their eyes to the hills from where their help comes from. Their help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. We have to change our perspective if we want freedom. And then the Philippian jailers, some of you, listen, some of you may be here this morning, and you need to come trembling before a holy God because of his power and his presence, and you need to say, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? What do, what do I need to say? What? We would love to help explain that to you. And even as Paul and Silas gave an elevator pitch, it's probably not as hard as you think. God loves you. He loves you. He sent his one and only son to die for you. And today you can be freed in the greatest way possible by Jesus, because of Jesus, today. I'm not sure what it is that binds your heart or your life. Addiction, relationships, sin, demonic forces, it doesn't really matter. Freedom is in Jesus today. Today. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? We're going to do actually what Paul and Silas did in that jail cell. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. And we're going to lift our eyes to the Lord. He's the one that makes a difference in us. He's the one that changes us. We have no hope apart from him. And I'm just so thankful. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The spirit of the Lord is there's freedom. What is the freedom you need today? Heavenly Father, we just pray that the spirit of the living God would be so strong in this place. God, that you would move in such a way in this place today, right now, in the hearts of these people. That for some, they would be honest about the addiction or the struggle or the idol or the thing that has got them bound up and they have no idea how to be freed. Or maybe it's the Christian that just keeps looking horizontally at all the junk in their life and forgets to look to you. And maybe there's somebody here today, Lord, that needs to come trembling before you and say, what must I do to be saved? I need the greatest freedom that can be offered a person, freedom in Jesus. God, it's our heart's desire that they not worry about anyone listening. I think about Paul and Silas. They didn't worry about anyone listening. They just worshiped. God, as we go into this time of worship, may we not worry about anyone listening. May we just lift up the name of Jesus, get our eyes off our circumstances and on our creator and allow you, Lord, to save us and change us and make us who you want us to be. God, may we be bold enough to acknowledge your power and your presence bow before you and say, Lord, take my life. Change my life for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen.